Galatians chapter 3. If you've got a Schofield Bible, it's page 1244. If you don't, you need one. All right, 1244. Galatians chapter number 3. Open thou our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And we'll thank you and praise you if we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now the Bible tells us Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. The Bible said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He hath redeemed us. That means he has paid the price for us. You get in some financial trouble, get your shotgun, go down to the pawn shop. You take it, you give the man your shotgun, he gives you a hundred dollars. And you go and pay your bill or whatever till you get your money. And you go back and you, you pay him what's owed and you get that shotgun back. You have redeemed that shotgun. Now, the Bible doesn't say paid for us. He redeemed us. Beloved, we were, uh, as uh, Adam and Eve were created, we were in the presence of God Almighty. Mother and dad, Adam and Eve, walked with God and talked with God in the cool of the day. They had perfect fellowship with God the Father. Oh, what a wonderful blessing and privilege that would be to walk through the Garden of Eden with the God every evening. But beloved, because of their sin, they were removed and a curse was placed on mankind. And beloved, water baptism and church membership will not buy you back from the curse of sin. There's only one thing, there's only one thing that will redeem us from the curse of sin and that's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you'll come through that blood, you'll accept that blood, or you'll die and go to hell. You say, well, had a lady tell me one time, said, well, if that's the way you want to believe, you can, but there are many ways to heaven as long as you're sincere. If you are sincere in your beliefs, if you're sincere in your religion, God will honor that and God will accept that. But Jesus made it plain when he said, He's the way, not one of many, not even one of two. He said, I am the way. And beloved, if we get to God, we're going through the way of Jesus Christ. Beloved, they're telling us today there are many Bibles that can be used. And uh, I heard one famous preacher say not long ago, he said, when you get saved, just go pick out whichever one is easiest for you to read and uh, just accept that. that. That'll be your Bible. Beloved, they say the Koran is the, the truth. They say the Torah the Jews declare the Torah is the truth and no testament for them. And today we have so many that are, are, are going with other Bibles and you know the longer it goes, the more silly the versions get and the more polluted the versions get. Jesus not only said He's the way, He said He's the truth. And I'm glad there's only one truth today and that's in the pages of our King James Bible. We don't need another Bible. We don't need it rewritten. We don't need it redone. We have all that we need in this blessed old book. You know, our problem today is not 
that we don't know what the truth is. Problem is, we just don't want to do it. Today, this crowd today, you get you get these fellows that say they don't even believe in God. They know probably as much Bible as a Sunday school and a child would. They grew up on it. They know it. But they have refused to accept it. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of many truths. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. Then he said, I'm the life. Without him, there is no life. All you have is hope in this life. You are all men most miserable. I remember years ago, I was working with a, out of Mission, Texas one summer with Roland Garlic down there, La Spada, and uh, his son and Sam Horn, uh, and the, th- the three of us would go down into Mexico and would uh, preach and, and uh, just had a wonderful summer working with the, the uh, newspaper, the sword of the Lord in the Spanish language, and we were down, way down, just about to Mexico City. We were stopped at this little old village, and all those little villages there, they've got a gazebo or something in their, in their park, have a plaza or a park in the middle of town that everybody gathers to. So we would get up in there, and they'd start picking their guitars and, and uh, what have you. And I, I tell you, I just was awed by the McBride family, all of them picking and playing. I've always wanted to do that. Brother, may God bless you, sir. I always wanted to play an instrument. Now, Miss Ding plays the organ. My daughter plays piano. And uh, I've always wanted to. I took piano lessons for three years. And uh, my piano teacher shot herself and uh, said, there's just no hope for him at all. Just move on. And so I had to give it up. But uh, we were down there, and them boys would get to picking. We'd sing, and we'd get a crowd together. And then one of us would preach. And me would be the only one that didn't know Spanish. They'd have to interpret for me. And so I preached one day, and... I always preaching a long sleeve white shirt. That's all I've ever used, all I've ever wear. And uh, so I got through, and Brother Barton, it was about 104 degrees. And it's uh, not shy of that up here. I believe about 100 now. And, uh, but anyway, I, I was so hot. I was so thirsty. I was so sweaty. I got through, and I went down to this little, uh, a little pharmacy. And they had a cooler and had these great big Coca-Colas. You know, they tell you not to drink the water in Mexico. It'll kill you. And uh, I tried it one time, and I died, and uh, God brought me back. But I, uh, I wanted one of those Coca-Colas so bad. It was about a, about a dime, so American money, about, about, back then what it would cost. So I reached in my pocket, and it dawned on me. Uh, I had forgot to go to the bank and get me a sack full of pesos. I always did that before we went in, but we took a trip. We weren't really expecting I didn't have any. So I pulled a dollar bill out. And uh, I laid that dollar bill down on the counter. Now, that's ten times what he was asking for. It was just a dime. But he, I laid that dollar bill down. I said, uh, uh, dollar. He said, no, pesos. And I said, uh, I owe have no pesos. Got a dollar. He said, no dollar, pesos. And I said, I don't have any pesos. And I wanted to reach across and grab the little scrawny fella. And, and, uh, and he said, uh, no peso, no Coca-Cola. Boy, I about lost it then. And uh, one of my buddies came in and said, what's going on? I said, I have no pesos. He said, well, I got some. I said, pay this crazy man so I can get this Coca-Cola. And uh, he did. But I learned in Mexico, and I found out later they have trouble. Their banks won't even take American money down in some of those little villages. And so it was worthless to him. 
And beloved, you bring what you will to the throne of God and you lay it down. You take, as I said, your water baptism, your good works, your church membership, being confirmed, uh, giving money, selling the Bibles, passing out tracts, helping me. You bring all of that to God's uh, storehouse and lay it down for salvation. And he says, hey, no blood, no salvation. No blood, no salvation. And beloved, today we're saved by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to move on quickly. And I want to talk to you this morning real, real quick. If you'll jot some things down, I want to talk to you about the curses that Christ faced at Calvary. The curses that Christ faced at Calvary. I want you to read on in verse 13 here of Galatians 3. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. I want you, if you can, to get these three short points down. I'll, I'll not amaze you with anything this morning that you haven't already heard. But first of all, the first curse we see that Christ endured was the curse of hanging on a tree. Take your Bibles, if you will, and go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21. You've got a Schofield Bible, it's page 240. Now look with me in verse number 22. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any ways bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed, of God. He that is hanged is a cursed of God, that thy land be not defileth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Go over a few pages to chapter 27. Chapter 27. And look with me at one verse. Chapter 27. The Bible tells us in verse 26, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now, beloved, in, in looking over this, I found that only those uh, folks that were condemned of some hideous crime were hanged on a tree. First of all, crucifixion in these days, the Roman days, they did not invent it. The Persians invented crucifixion, but the Romans certainly perfected it. And beloved, uh, uh, the uh, crucifixion was hardly never at this time for Jews. It was always for the Gentile dogs. They were the ones that was hanging on the cross. But Jesus, the Bible said, was hanged on that tree, and when he was, the Bible said he was cursed by God Almighty. It was a curse to hang 
a body on a tree. And they said that was reserved, as I said, for those that had committed hideous, awful, terrible crimes. Many times they would kill them other ways and then hang their bodies up for a public show, for a public spectacle, for the birds to come and feed on, for people to walk by and see. And beloved, Jesus was willing. He that knew no sin, he that had perfect fellowship with the Father, he was willing to be accursed by God, number one, by hanging on a tree. The songwriter said, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Somebody took my place. He was willing to hang on a tree and to be a public spectacle and to be a curse of God for your sins and for mine. Don't ever say, no one loves you. I've got news for you. God loves you enough to send his son. And Jesus loves you enough to come and to, uh, and to endure the atrocities of Calvary. So number one, the curse of hanging on a tree. Now go with me to the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, some verses in the Bible, they haunt me. They just, I, I just can't quite wrap my, my mind around it. And uh, not being the most brilliant fellow in the world, for instance, in Matthew 27, the Bible said, and sitting down, they watched him there. That's always bothered me. They hated him so much. They despised him so much. They sat down and said, we're going to sit right here till every drop of blood flows from his body, till every breath of air leaves his body. We're going to sit down and we're going to watch him there. Every time I've been with someone that was passing, it was always quiet. It was always people were respecting what was happening. Just a few weeks ago, one of my dear friends, Brother Jerry Darnell, pastors up in, he passed up in Traveler's Rest. He just dropped by one morning when he was doing the morning get-together at TVI, our live broadcast from 8 to 10, and he just kind of started hanging around, and uh, I, just, uh, I just fell in love with him. He was just, a, just an old country preacher is all he was. That's all he claimed to be, and he just became part of us. And boy, we enjoyed it so much, and... Uh, he got sick, and he uh, was leaving us. And I, I'm having trouble with my back and my legs. I, I can't walk long distances, and I wanted to go see him, but I, I couldn't get up to the room. And I just mentioned on the radio I'd love to go see him, but I couldn't. And one of the men called and said, uh, Can I come by and get you? I'll take you over, and I'll put you in a wheelchair, and I'll pull you up to his room. And I said, Would you do that for me? He said, Yeah. I said, I'd be so ingrated. So, so grateful for it. And so he did. And when we went up to his room, as soon as the door opened, and I'm sitting there in that wheelchair, he saw me and he began to weep and he began to cry. He said, Preacher Dean, I, I've been wanting to see you so bad. He said, uh, 
I didn't think I'd get to see you. He said, I talked to the Lord the other night, and God told me it's time to go. He said, now, preacher, he said, I told the Lord I'm going to have to lay my cross down. I've carried it as long as I can. Now it's up to some of you to pick that cross up and keep going. And I said, God, help me with the help of God Almighty. We'll pick up that cross, Brother Darnell, and we'll carry it right on long as we can. And about a, about a week later, he, had, he was transferred to hospice, and uh, his daughter called me and said, Brother Dean said, uh, we don't know why Daddy's still alive. The doctors, the nurses have said they can't understand why he's still holding on. She said that they, he was perhaps waiting to tell somebody goodbye. She said, but we've had everybody up here, his brothers and all the family, everybody that knew him. And she said, we thought maybe perhaps he was waiting to hear from you. And I said, well, I'll, I'll come up there. She said, no, just let me let you talk to him on the phone. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so after that was Wednesday night after prayer meeting, I dropped mom off the house and I drove up to Landrum. It was the only bed they could find. I went down to his room and when I got there, his daughter was on a cot. She was asleep. She'd been up about three days running. And I just got me a chair and I pulled it up to his bed and I, I took his old hand and I began to stroke his arm. I leaned over and I kissed him on his forehead. And uh, you say, uh, Brother Dean, you shouldn't have done that. Well, I'm big enough. I can do it any time I want to. Amen. I'm grown enough. And that was my dear friend. Amen. And I sat there and I held his hand and I, I stroked in his arm and I told him, I said, Doc, I said, if, if I'm what you're waiting on, you go on. You go on now. I told you, we got your cross. We're going to carry it for you. You go on to your reward. And I sat there for a few minutes, and I just rubbed his arm. I held his hand. I, uh, I wanted to leave his daughter a note that I'd been there, so I, I was holding his hand with my left hand. I reached in my pocket to get a piece of paper, and, and all of a sudden, I, Brother Barton, I heard, Whew, and he was gone. He was gone. Now, you say what you want to. You believe what you want to. But I was there. There was a presence that entered that room. There was a presence that entered that room. And it was as though, in just, just a few seconds, it was as though I felt wings flapping in that room as I believe the Lord sent his angels to get that old child of God, that old saint of God, and to carry him away. And as quick as it came, it was gone. And that old man, that old preacher, that old soldier of Christ, went to be with the Lord. Amen. Hey, I've got news for you. This thing's real. Yes, I'm not talking about something I've read about in some magazine or I heard some fella talk about at the coffee shop. I'm telling you what I have experienced myself at 44 years of, of preaching. I've got news for you. This thing is real. Salvation is real. There's a real heaven and a real hell. And I'm glad this morning I know the way I know the truth. I know the life. And I'm on my way to that fair land. Now, I, I can't understand verses like that sitting down they watched in there. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, another verse that I just couldn't quite understand until one day I'm, I'm driving to the office and it's as though the Holy Spirit shed light, illuminated. That's his job, to illuminate and I have found out 
It doesn't matter how much you have up here. It matters what you have in here. Is that right? People say, I just don't understand that King James Bible. My granddaddy, he went to, got through second grade. He never got through the third grade. They had to pull him out of school, and he had to work at home on the farm. His dad was sick, and he could barely read. And Brother Barton, I remember going in that little mill house down on Monaghan Mill Hill. I remember running in there one day in the front room, and my old granddad was sitting there in his old chair, had a Bible open on his lap, and tears was just a-flowing. I said, Papa, I said, uh, why are you crying? He said, I'm happy. I said, Papa, people don't cry when they're happy. People cry when they're sad. He said, oh, no. He said, I'm, I'm crying because I said, what's made you so happy to make you cry? He said, I just got through reading about how God loves me. Oh, an old uh, ignorant country boy, God loves me. And listen, that old man with a second grade education, he didn't have much schooling up here, but he had that blessed Holy Spirit in here that was illuminating God's Word, and He'll do that for you and me. Now, this book is not of any private interpretation. Now, I'm not talking about it. They'll show you what the truth is. If you'll ask Him. Now, look at verse 21. For He, that's God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now look at the first part of this verse. For God hath made. Now we think of the word made and we think of force. We think of forcing somebody to do something. Our daughter and my granddaughter, they live with us. Sometimes I have to make my granddaughter go in and brush her hair. She likes running around looking like a wild mustang, hair all over her head. I said, Isabella, go in there and brush that hair. And she said, yes, Papa, and she'll go. Now, I've made her do it. Listen, God did not force Jesus to come to this earth and die on the cross. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was ahead. He knew what he would face, and he came on anyway. This doesn't mean he forced him. This means that he, he's made him. Now I want you to look at those two little words, the last page, last on the page in your Schofield Bible, 1233. To be. Would you circle those two little words? To be. It's defined as to be made to be, to become, or this one, listen, to pass from one state to another. To change, to pass from one state to another. God hath made Jesus to become sin for you and for me. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. The Bible tells us, Isaiah 53, the Bible said, verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows, 
yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Now, beloved, the Old Testament, and I'm not certainly not an expert on the Old Testament, they said that the Father would bring a lamb for his sins and for his family's sins for that year and would give that lamb to the priest and would take his hands and place on the forehead of that lamb and thus he is transferring his sins and the sins of his family onto that lamb so that that lamb could die, that lamb could shed blood, that blood of the animal would cover the sins of that family for that year. And beloved, listen, the Bible tells us in Matthew, hold your place here in Isaiah, go back with me to Matthew 27 real quickly. The Bible says, verse 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land, Tell about the ninth hour. That's high noon, 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, beloved, Jesus has been hanging on the cross of Calvary. He has suffered. He's bled. He's died. He's dying. They've beaten his back open with a Roman cat of nine tails. And I read this story in St. Some men never live past that beating. That Roman, a cat of nine tails would rip around and open the front. And their bowels would pour out. And a lot of men died at the whipping post having been beaten by a Roman cat of nine tails. But Jesus has endured all that. And Jesus is hanging on the cross. And now at 12 o'clock noon, when the sun's at its peak, the Bible said, Beloved, over all the land... There was darkness. God cut the sun off and the moon went black and the stars closed their eyes and the planets looked the other way and the Bible said there was darkness over all the land. What had happened? What took place? He had been on the cross. He had been suffering. At high noon, God Almighty stepped out of heaven, laid His hands on the Lord Jesus Christ and God made Jesus to be come sin for you and for me. He that knew no sin became sin for you and me. He did not put it on like we put a coat on. The Bible said he became sin for you and for me. Now go back to Isaiah 53. The Bible said, verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him with His stripes were healed. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible said, verse 9, and made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was there any 
the seed in his mouth. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now I'm a daddy and I'm a granddaddy. And I have never found joy in having to correct my children. I've never got any pleasure on having to chasten my children. And beloved, it did not, it was not something that God Almighty, I believe, enjoyed, but He did. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Look why. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. I said, number one, the first curse Jesus faced at Calvary was to hang on a tree. Number two, the second thing, the second curse that Jesus faced on Calvary was to be made sin for you and me. To become our sin. All those wicked, godless, vile, wretched, despicable things we've ever done or ever heard tell of being done, that's what Jesus became on the cross of Calvary. Amen. The most wicked, vile, disgusting things that have ever happened on this earth, that's what Jesus became at Calvary. And so awful was that task that it pleased God to bruise the Son when He, the Son, became the sin offering for you and for me. And the second curse was to be made sin. Now go back with me to Matthew chapter 27, and I'll close. Let me give you the third and final point. I said the first curse Jesus faced on Calvary was hanging on a tree. The second curse that Jesus faced on Calvary was to be made sin for us. But then, the third and final curse that I want to share with you is the curse of having his father forsake him. Having his father forsake him. Now, we don't have time to get into everything I'd like to share with you, but when Jesus was first hung on the cross... In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus looks down at that mob that has cried, crucify him, that spat on him and slapped him and lied on him and laughed at him. Jesus looks down at that miserable mob and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But here in Matthew 27, after he became sin for you and me, his, his uh, salutation changed. Look at it. Verse 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God my God, why hast thou forsaken me? His first talk to the Father, he said, Luke 23, Father, forgive them. But now his verbiage has changed. He looks up 
And Jesus sees something he's never seen before. And that's the back of the father as his father turned his back on his own son. And Jesus didn't say, Father. He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you left me here? I've come to do what you've told me to do. Why have you turned your back on me? Now go with me over to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. He's gone from Father, and now he says, My God, my God. And I want you to see with me in verse number. Let's pick up in verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Now look at verse 46. And when Jesus, who has been crucified, Jesus, who has been made the sin offering, Jesus, who has done exactly what the Father demanded, says in verse 46, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit, Hey, I'm glad the sin debt had been paid. Salvation had been completed. Jesus finished his work. And when he looked up, he didn't see the back of the Father. He saw his daddy looking at him again. And he said, Father, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I'm glad Jesus was willing to hang on a tree for you and for me. I'm glad he was willing to be made sin for us. And then lastly, I'm so glad that he was willing to endure the curse of having the Father forsake him. But oh, I've got news for you. If we could roll back the clouds and we could look into that third heaven, we'd see God Almighty sitting on that throne and to his right, we would see that crucified lamb. We would find that crucified Savior who had bled and died and went back to heaven, a victory, went back to heaven, completed what he said he would do, and the next time he comes, he's coming in glory. He'll not be the lowly Nazarene when he comes again. He's going to be the risen Son of God, the Savior of the world coming back in power and honor and glory.